AT&T Threat Track is a roundtable discussion of the latest network security trends and news conducted by AT&T data security analysts. Complete video of this show is available at techchannel.att.com. Hey, Jim. How are you? It's so nice to see you in person. Yeah, it's good to you be here. You finally made the drive. It's that time of the year when we get to celebrate Jim being here. You know, you look almost exactly like you do on the webcam, uh, but much better in person. Uh, There's more of me. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> so uh, today, I guess you have a story about uh, a service that's very commonly used, DNS mask, and there's some vulnerabilities. Yeah, a research team at Google posted a blog article last week. They discovered seven vulnerabilities in DNS mask. And DNS mask is a, a lightweight DNS and DHCP server that is used a lot in Linux devices, on a lot of IoT devices, and, uh, and in Android. And they found these seven vulnerabilities. Three of them are remote code execution. Three of them are denial of service, and off the top of my head, I don't remember what the seventh one is. But they did a, a scan, I don't know if they did it through Shodan or did their own scan, and discovered at least a million vulnerable devices that were using DNS mask and facing the internet. So, yeah, the patches are out. If you're running you know, a standard Linux distribution, you probably have the patch and you're probably okay. Running an IoT device, you're probably never going to get the patch. That's that's the one that's the issue. Is yeah. you know the home routers and the IoT devices that are using DNS mask for you know for the DHCP server for your home network or whatever. Those don't often automatically update, so those could potentially remain vulnerable for quite a while. And the Android Google pushed the um, their October updates. And so a lot of the Android devices have also gotten updates, which is a good thing, but... The ones that are getting updates, that's the, yeah. The ones that are getting updates. So is DNS mask a server package, client package? Is it a mix of both? I mean, you know, on a phone, typically you're not running a DNS server, but you're certainly running a DNS client. I, I'm not exactly sure how it gets used in Android. Okay. I, I know that it is, because they said in the article that it was uh, in Android. I, one of the vulnerabilities, I, I believe they said, was uh, exploitable if you were tethering through the Android device. Okay. But yeah, it's, it's a very popular package, and the fact that it's got all of these vulnerabilities is, again, worrisome. We've talked about it hundreds of times over the years, about these home devices especially. And, and IoT devices and whether they get the updates. So this is one Should to be... Should we expect to see more scanning on 53 TCP or UDP? I, I, would, I would be looking for scanning on 53 and 67, 68, the DHCP ports. Okay. I'd be on the lookout for those over the next few weeks. Interesting. Well, scary as always. <laughs> it seems like, it's, like you say, it's the same story over and over. X vulnerability in Linux that's not going to get patched on these platforms because their patching is really not up to snuff. If the user doesn't know how to update them or if there isn't an easy update path, 
then the vulnerable software stays on there for the lifetime of the device. And that could be years. And you know, having vulnerable devices out there for years, the, the bad guys can get in and take over your network. That's, that's really scary. So these are bugs that are serious and yet may not be patched in a timely manner. So it behooves people to take a look, see if they are affected by this bug. And sometimes the only choice they may have to protect against it is to take it off a network. A skimmer is a device that is put over the, the normal slot where you stick a credit card or an ATM card. And it's used to harvest the the data that's stored on the magnetic strip. Uh, so this is company SparkFun. They sell hobbyist electronic parts and kits and they have tutorials. And sometimes the local law enforcement reaches out to them and says, hey, we found one of your devices or kits in a skimmer on like an ATM or a gas pump. And in this case, they decided to go almost full disclosure on this one. They didn't say who asked them to do the analysis, but they did some analysis on a skimmer device or, or three that were provided to them. And they did a really good part by part layout of this is what it is. These are the chips that somebody builds it with. This is how it interacts with the gas pump, um, which I thought was really fascinating because it's mm -hmm. typically you wouldn't find one of these devices unless you were in law enforcement or working at like the ATM mm -hmm. uh, company or the gas station that has the pumps. Uh, but they showed you everything and how it worked. This particular skimmer, the way it would work is it would steal the credit card data, keep it there, and when the bad guy would show up, uh, it would wirelessly, using Bluetooth, transmit to him the credit card data. So they probably had some sort of special app on their iPhone or something that they were able to do it. The more interesting part is they actually created an application that you can download to your phone. And this app looks for a very specific model of skimmer, but it's like 100% guaranteed that if you run this and it does its steps to sort of validate because there's like a handshake that goes back and forth, you find the device, you pair with it using the pin of one, two, three, four, and then you, you give it like a little handshake to ask it a question it returns with the right response, you're pretty much guaranteed to have found one of these devices, which is cool, which means you can go around looking for skimmers. Now, the chances you'll find one hopefully are very small, uh, but I mean, uh, that's something I hadn't thought about yet, is what I would do when I found one. Maybe just call the police, which is probably the right thing to do. Um, but it's very interesting, it's interesting, it's cool that you can find this kind of stuff on your own. And it makes you think, like, you know, one, this information is out there now, and if anybody who makes these reads this article, they can change any of these indicators in, like, a heartbeat. Right. And then all their new models won't be detectable by the tool. But it's the same kind of back and forth where like, you know, Stan finds some malware, he writes a snort signature or an unpacker for it, and the bad guys change it up when they realize that, you know, it's not as good as it used to be. It probably will be short-lived because the, the bad guys will just change their, their protocol a little bit, you know, change their pins. But it is, it is an interesting area of research. Uh, but it makes you think maybe it would be cool to have your own device that does this, like not just the app. Like if I had a small laptop with a Bluetooth radio in it, looking for devices like this, you know, how many can you build signatures for? You know, if you drove across the country and you found a whole bunch of these, you know, you start building your own little Bluetooth ID, not even an IDS, but, you right. know, a detection tool. That's kind of neat. So it, uh, the article has so many technical details about it, I just really wanted to you know, amplify it. This is really great analysis of a hardware. You know, usually we talk about software, you know, malware analysis from a, you know, you know bits and bytes perspective, but this is a device that somebody took the time to tear down and talk about, so.
And I was just thinking, you know, with uh, with the adversaries being able to change the technology, they could for the new models, but all the ones they have already deployed out there, they probably, <laughs> you know, don't want to get caught necessarily. You know, I'm kind of thinking this is funny because we were just talking about patching of, of consumer Linux devices, yes. and those don't get patched. Right. And I, I wonder if any of the hardware devices that these guys are making, if they're going to care enough to actually patch those too. I mean, patch is, as in change the, the signature that's being used here, but probably not. I mean, yeah, probably not. The bill materials for the devices was like five dollars tops, right. so maybe they're willing to, you know, f f neglect the amount of time they spent to, to construct it and just say, okay, that's a loss, a write-off, you know, this batch because now they're going to be found. But it also depends who's really looking. You know, if it's a whole bunch of just guys who are into information security, they're not enough to, to reliably detect these things in public, right. you know. For example, I looked on Google search and I found a whole bunch of screenshots of these things. And if you didn't know what you were looking for, you know, it looks just like a longer cable with a blob in the center that's got some like heat shrink tubing around the outside to protect it from moisture. I mean, if you weren't looking, it's, like, uh, it's a funny cable extension. I'm not really sure. Could be bad, could be good. But some of the ones that were in the SparkFun article had flaws. Like the, whoever had soldered the, the connections for the cables had soldered them by hand and done a terrible job. So you put one of these things in line and your card reader stops working. Absolutely, that one's gonna get found next because right. as soon as someone says, well, this, this device doesn't work. And let's be honest, how many times have we found security problems because of IT problems? Well, this thing is no longer working. My, you know, my hard drive is constantly spinning up all the time. What looks like some sort of failure mode may actually be an attack in progress. My system became unstable. Yep, Absolutely. Because the malware authors were sucking up all the CPU cycles. Sure. <laughs> well, the Bitcoin miner, yeah. The Bitcoin miner. Yeah. I have been using it. I feel like every time I go to a gas station or near an ATM now, I'm like, well, I should, I should just try it. And I've always pulled out my phone. And I never find one, which is comforting. Uh, but I think it's very clever research. Uh, not only did the researchers uh, kind of uh, explain in great detail exactly how this particular skimmer works, I think they found something unique. And then they created an app to help detect this. Stan, you found an interesting article about some malware that's being sold on the underground, something called Formbook? Uh, yes. So last week I was reading this article or blog entry on the FireEye blog, and uh, they described, I guess, you know, it's basically a standard malware just like any other Formbook. It's up to version 0.3. I guess that's pre-release or what? <laughs> uh, what's cool about it to me from the article is actually I wanted to show you this. This is the... Uh, the advertise. This is the bad guy's advertisement for the malware, and he like yeah, it is professional. Except the language is a little off. It's not like standard English, uh, but it's got like features that he lists out, like how it's compiled. You know, only in assembly it doesn't how have it's dependent. Right. Yeah, it, well, it's compiled in assembly and it's written in assembly or C. So he's saying it doesn't have any dependencies or anything like that. So like real features that he's trying to brand. He's got like screenshot of all the logs that he collects. He's even got hosting prices. So what, what, <laughs> so what function does this malware serve, I guess is my next question. Yes. So the malware, I think like a lot of malware in this category, it just is stealing information uh, from users where it's installed. So uh, in your browser, you usually have these forms you fill out, like mm -hmm. your credit card number and stuff like that. So the name, yeah, or your login and password, so all of those are called forms. So Formbook is designed to steal the information from browsers and those forms. But actually, if you review the features, it's got a lot. Like all of these icons here 
they represent different parts of the system where the malware will search and try to steal information from. And all of it is really designed to get your usernames, passwords, sensitive information out of the registry or the clipboard or wherever you think it's safe. Uh, and the amazing thing about this guy, right, he's selling hosting services for like $30 a week, or you could get like a custom built version of the binary for $300. Um, $30 a week is kind of steep, don't you think, uh, for something like this? Well, you, there's less risk to you, I guess, if you're not hosting it yourself. And I imagine if, you, if it's doing what it's supposed to, you're going to be making money off of whatever it is you get back from it anyway. Potentially. And I know I'm not sure, like, in the contract you write with this bad contract? guy. <laughs> I don't know how these things work. But if there's a contract you write with the bad guy, who's responsible for distributing the malware? So this is actually where FireEye picked it up, is they found um, an increase in uh, spam uh, campaigns uh, that included distribution of this malware. Mm -hmm. And what they found, actually I don't remember the exact industries, but an uptick in specific industries in South Korea uh, and uh, USA of mm. campaigns targeted specifically against these two countries with this malware. Yeah, I, I, I believe it was aerospace and defense yes, contractors so. that they so were So that's kind of interesting. And you wouldn't, I mean, this is not particularly like like APT malware, you know what people say APT. It mm -hmm. seems like kind of standard, run-of-the-mill type malware, just stealing your uh, thing, something you buy, say, off the shelf. So it's called Formbook, um, but it sounded like the, the features you were describing were all kind of host-based, like things that it would pull out of like a Windows system as opposed to like within a browser, or is it both? Well, it's probably both. Uh, and, you know, I don't know why they call it a form book. To me, that probably means that maybe it started as malware, you know, maybe version 0 0.1. Uh, they were like, oh, we're going to get stuff out of forms. But then they quickly expanded. Um, the other thing I see when, when they host like this, it's like somebody who is just really trying to get their malware out there. Mm -hmm. So loud and like really like, hey, I got this great features and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So whoever is using this, though, I feel, or well, the spam campaign, I feel like is almost disassociated from, you know, the creator and the hosting. And it's just interesting to gain an insight into how, uh, you know, even though it's a little bit of insight into how, like, this adversarial architecture works and, like, how the bad guys mm -hmm. split up the tasks. I'll create the malware. I'll host the malware. I'll send the malware. And then uh, you don't want, I guess the most dangerous one is the guy who's going to use the malware because that's really uh, the bad thing. It's not the first time that I, I've seen that kind of thing, but the, it did seem to be one of the more polished, uh, polished ones. Uh, these guys have a business model. They've got this particular package of malware, and they're going to package it up, package up the hosting, and you know, sell it on the the black market, the bad guys market. It's just like a real business, right? Because, <laughs> like, it, it, you know, in hosting in general. You know, there's the people who host the application, the people who develop the application, the people who maintain the application, and the people who use the application. This is really just like a real, almost like a business thing. Uh, but it's interesting, um, the, the write-up itself, the reason I wanted to highlight it is it's got a lot of technical detail. Um, and you can use that to write, you know, snore rules and things like that if you read the article. I'm sure someone already has. Uh, and uh, it, it's pretty good. So, I, you know, everybody should check it out. I, I'm kind of curious to know, and I don't think I'll ever learn it, but whether or not the folks that are 
targeting these very specific target regions, if this is the, the owner of the malware doing it himself or he's being tasked out to do it by somebody else, and whether or not, you know, who's behind that targeting? Is it someone who just has a business interest in a very specific sector and needs to fish credentials for those guys and use them? Is it some sort of government agency using this guy as a front? Because some people will take a look and go, well, it's garden variety malware. I've dealt with it. I don't have to think about, you know, future compromises from the same thing. It's, it's, it's like a, almost a using a proxy to do your, your, your bidding for you. So on this week's internet weather, the top two ports haven't changed at all. That's 23 TCP, which is Telnet, and 22 TCP, which is SSH. Um, yeah, I, these are probably going to be up there at the top most pro ports for a long time to come. Third place is 445, which isn't too much of a surprise. That's uh, SMB, and it's probably more WannaCry scanning, although, again, I think we've said that that vulnerability is popular because it's very effective. So it doesn't have to be WannaCry scanning, but you know, because it is a worm, I tend to think that's what it is. Uh, 1433 is in fourth place. That's MS SQL. Um, MS SQL? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, ADTCP could be a, a number of things, um, but it's usually in the top 10. But it's al almost always something related to a web service of some kind. 3389 is RDP. Uh, 8545 we'll go into in a little bit. And that one, I'm fairly sure, is Ethereum. And John covered that on a show back in September, and he had some thoughts about it. I'm going to expand on those a little. 21 TCP is FTP. Um, I think that's been towards the top for a while now. Uh, 53413 is back. That's our old Netus UDP friend. backdoor, yeah. Um, and to round it out at the bottom is 123 UDP, which is NTP. Taking a look at the most sources probing, uh, 23 TCP still at the top. 445 is actually in second place in terms of sources probing. Again, because it's a worm, that sort of makes sense. Uh, port 22 TCP is SSH. Apparently that went down, it was down a little bit of a while ago, but uh, back up in third place. Uh, 80 TCP is in fourth. Uh, 80 ICMP, which is echo request, is down two from last week. 21 TCP FTP, 8080 TCP is, it could be a number of different things. Typically it's a web-related port or some kind of web proxy. Uh, 6881 UDP and TCP are 8 and 9, and those are typically related to BitTorrent protocol. Yep. And 110 ICMP is time exceeded. Um, we do see a lot of ICMP in the most sources probing. Sometimes I think that's not necessarily probing, maybe some sort of reflection coming from a number of sources or a number of scanners. Yeah, backscatter and that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. So take a look at this 8545. On a previous show, John talked about it. One of his theories was that was Ethereum. He saw um, that some of our sinkholes were actually getting some of this traffic on 8545, and it looked like a JSON RPC call, which after a little research makes a lot of sense. So the Ethereum client exposes RPC if you're configuring it foolishly on 8545. You can accidentally put that on the internet. I found a blog post on the Ethereum blog saying that if you misconfigure your Ethereum uh, instance and expose this and leave your wallet unlocked, anyone who can make an RPC call into it can spend the money that you've got. Ooh. Right. So this, nice. whoever's scanning this has probably read this advisory, which is from 2015, uh, and might be making some internet monies. I mean, you can see in the last couple of weeks, we've seen a significant uptick in that. The baseline was somewhere around 20... 20 million scan flows per hour, and now we're up at 120 million scan flows per hour. It's still a small number of sources doing this, uh, but very consistent and very concerted scanning. So yeah, if you're running Ethereum, this is one for you guys to look out for, definitely. Uh, 23 TCP, since it's king, I figure we have to cover it. Um, 
last couple of weeks, it hasn't been jumping that much. It's sort of wavered. The low was around 80,000 scan sips per hour, up to around 120, 125 scan sips per hour. And right now in the last week or so, we've seen it go up and down. Um, but yeah, still significant amounts of scanning. I feel like this is still uh, a third of what we had seen uh, from like right. a year ago. Yep, if we had a 365-day view, which I think I did use in the last show, you could definitely see it's nowhere near the Mirai days. Uh, I, I suppose Mirai is still out there, Mirai's but slow. it's nowhere near as popular as it used to be, yeah. which eh, overall is a pretty good thing. Either that or they've given up because they've already got all the Telnet boxes. <laughs> I don't know. So 53413 is our Netus backdoor, and this is a 90-day view of it. There's been some spikes. Um, somebody's still looking for it, but definitely in the last couple of days, we've seen some more activity there, and the baseline is, is a lot higher than it used to be. And that's scan flows, not scan sources. Uh, but yeah, it's still a viable backdoor. Um, why not look for it? This is the one that it takes a single line of shell embedded in an UDP packet to, to get root on the box and install a payload, which is incredible, just incredible. Uh, port 445 continues to rise, slowly but surely. This is in a 60-day view. And you can see that the bottom of that there, the scan sips was around 20,000 scan sips. And now around 30,000 is our, roughly where the, the, the bottom of those peaks go. Uh, still continuing to be a problem. Um, the interesting thing to me in this graph is the Exactly is the how periodic, oh yeah, it's like every single day, I think. Yeah. It, 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 speak, it spikes in the middle of the day and drops off and spikes and drops off and drops off a little further on the weekends. Yeah, but the middle of the day where? You know, because I imagine that there's so many time zones that people are actually working well, in. If, yeah, but if it, then I'd kind of expect it to be flatter. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Is, so, is there like one place in the world where these time zones line up and their work hours happen to be the place where there's the, the serious con, you know, concerted number of infected boxes? I should really take a closer look. Maybe I'll go down to like a seven-day view and figure out what hours these actually are. But you're right, it is, it's very, very periodic. It's the place in the world where they don't patch windows. And <laughs> that's I, what yes, you're you, you, can, you can see. The, these are the weekdays, and these are the weekends, yeah. and they're the weekdays, and the weekends, and the weekdays. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I guess it looks like, you know, some amount of the scanning is from devices that come on and off. Uh, the network sure versus the baseline there at the bottom is probably the devices that stay on all the time well, That that peak is almost as tall as that baseline by itself You know if those machines stayed on all the time you double your consistent number of scanners. That's incredible and Then uh, last week we talked about 17472 which I believe to be Tanium um, Tanium being a sort of a orchestration and security response tool. And this is one of the ports that it uses. And if you were to get into a box running Tanium and were able to command it to do things, I mean, it runs practically as root, if not with very, very high permissions. So sure, if you could break into this, and I'm not saying there's anything out there that any known vulnerabilities for it, but if you could do it, it would be a valuable thing to have as an attacker. It's an interesting pattern too. Yeah, the, the one's so someone, someone at the bottom is, is you know, doing it five week. days a week. Yeah. yeah, not many either. You know, scan flows of under uh, one million. But then in the last week, we had a huge, huge uptick in it, and then it seems to have gone back to its previous yeah, pattern. But then on the weekends, it yep. completely stops. So they did it for maybe four days there, if that works out. 
Actually, no, there's no gap here, right? You expect to right. see that, that weekend gap. Somebody was doing extra it, work. It start, yeah, it started uh, on the weekend. Yep. And then dropped back They took off. Friday off and yeah. It yeah, clearly well, didn't take Columbus Day off. Yeah, starting, starting with Friday, they're back to the same pattern as, as we were seeing before. Yeah. So, I mean, this is an interesting, I mean, it's sort of a blip, but um, yeah, now that it's on our radar, maybe we can keep an eye on this. Um, it is an important port, like I said, it, it'd be pretty critical mm -hmm. if someone did have like a zero day in Tanium, but again, there's no evidence of that. You know, as I think about the internet weather and I think about like the DNS uh, mask vulnerabilities, again, it requires somebody to scan your network to find if, if you have these devices exposed. So, uh, you know, just want to be aware and, and make sure you have some kind of telemetry in front of your network that lets you know when you're being scanned because maybe it will uncover for you that indeed you do have some kind of infrastructure that is vulnerable to this. I think the big message for this week comes from my story, which was the uh, scammer scanner software. And for me, it's always exciting to see somebody develop a security tool for defense that people without a technical background can use. Well, it's always good to, to get out here and get some face time with the rest of the team, be able to sit in the same room. I mean, you know, we, we talk on the phone, on video conferences regularly, but there's something different about being able to sit in the same room with Stan and Matt and John and you know, the Manny and all of them. The views expressed on AT&T ThreatTrack are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of AT&T or any other person or entity.